Volume Three, Chapter Four of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Frances Eleanor Trollope. Volume Three, Chapter Four. Mrs. Errington advanced towards her daughter-in-law with her habitual serene stateliness, and Rhoda followed her modestly, looking very pretty in a new dress, the delicate hue of which set off her fair complexion to great advantage. Castalia received them much as usual, that is to say, without displaying any emotion whatever. But when Mrs. Errington took her daughter-in-law's hand, she exclaimed, "'Good gracious, Castalia, how cold you are! A perfect frog! And yet this little room of yours is very warm, oppressively warm, to one coming from without.' "'We find the temperature so comfortable here,' said Violet. "'Dear Castalia always has her rooms deliciously warm, we think.' perhaps violet you are chilly by nature some constitutions are so for myself i have a wonderful circulation but it is hereditary all my branch of the ancrums were renowned for it i don't know my dear castalia whether my cousin lady seely has the same peculiarity i don't know i am sure with us it was a well-known thing among the faculty for miles around ancrum park our extremities were never cold nor had we ever red noses i believe a red nose was absolutely unknown in our family no doubt that was part of the same thing perfect circulation of the blood with that mrs errington sat down tolerably near the fire and made herself comfortable where is my dear boy she asked after a little while not at that dreadful office i hope and trust he is at home replied castalia slowly i asked him to come into the drawing-room and he said he would by and by oh i dare say he will come now dear said rose MacDougall, without raising her eyes from her sewing well my dear said mrs errington to her daughter-in-law and if he does come now you must not be jealous the two sisters glanced at the good lady in quick surprise and then at rhoda rhoda was looking for the hundredth time at a book of prints it was her usual evening's occupation at ivy lodge mrs errington proceeded placid smiling and condescending as ever you must not be jealous castalia if he does come directly he learns that his mother is here to be sure a wife ranks first i have always acknowledged that and indeed insisted on it i am sure it was my own case with poor dear dr errington who would never have dreamed of putting any human being into competition with me still allowances must be made for the very peculiar and devoted attachment algy has always felt for me he is and ever was an ancrum to the core and this kind of one may say romantic affection for their mothers has always distinguished the scions of our house from time immemorial good evening my dear algy i find our dear castalia looking a little worn and ill and i tell her she keeps her rooms too hot what do you say algernon had sauntered into the room during his mother's harangue delivered in the full mellow voice that belonged to her and now bent to kiss the worthy lady's cheek as he greeted her it was a cold firm rosy cheek indeed mrs errington's freshness and bloom were in singular oppositions to castalia's sallow haggardness and made the elder lady look doubly buxom and buoyant by the force of contrast you're flourishing at all events chère madame said algernon looking at his mother with unfeigned satisfaction it was a relief to him to see a contented smiling comfortable countenance nevertheless although agreeable to look upon mrs errington was apt to become a little wearisome in point of conversation and her dutiful son cast his eyes round the circle in search of a pleasant seat wherein to bestow himself but his glance met no response rose MacDougall had drawn near his wife and after very stiffly returning his bow had ceased to take any notice of him markedly avoiding his eye and keeping silence after he had spoken violet was divided between listening to the elder mrs errington and watching her sister castalia was more lazy more silent more indifferent than usual algernon was as unaccustomed as a spoiled child to be taken no notice of 
he to stand among those women as a person of secondary importance not greeted not flattered not smiled upon he looked across the group round the fire to rhoda who happened to raise her eyes at that moment and being taken by surprise at meeting his dropped them hastily with a vivid blush rhoda's blushes were as unmeaning as the smiles of an infant the most trivial cause made her change colour as algernon very well knew but at least the soft bright pink hue on pretty rhoda's cheek showed some emotion however slight or transient at the sight of him and moved partly by a boyish pettish resentment against the others partly by the desire to hear a pleasant voice and pleasant words and look upon a pretty woman's face with its delicate contour and fine subtle changes of tint he walked across the room and seated himself beside rhoda maxfield castalia pushed her chair back out of the lamplight you can't see to do your purse in that dark corner castalia exclaimed mrs errington i don't want to do my purse i'm sick of it naughty fickle girl this was said playfully then in a loud whisper addressed to the MacDougalls as well as to her daughter-in-law mrs errington exclaimed doesn't rhoda look charming to-night that pale lilac is the very colour for her trying to skins that have the least tinge of yellow in them but she is so wonderfully fair dear me it reminds one of the old times to see those two side by side as children they were always together no one responded violet MacDougall fidgeted nervously on her chair and cast an appealing look at her sister she would have tried to lead mrs errington to talk of something else had she dared but in rose's presence violet never ventured to take the initiative and besides she was afraid of doing more harm than good mrs errington not being one of those persons who take a hint easily the silence of her three listeners was no check to the worthy lady's eloquence she continued to descant on rhoda's attractions and graces and good manners she dropped hints of the excellent opportunities rhoda now had of settling in life only that she was a little fastidious from long association with such rarefied persons as the Arringtons, and had turned the cold shoulder to several well-to-do wooers in her own rank of life she related anecdotes of rhoda's early devotion to herself and her son until violet MacDougall muttered under her breath in a paroxysm of nervous impatience one would think the woman was doing it on purpose meanwhile algernon was talking to rhoda more freely and confidentially than he had spoken to her for a long long time he was indulging in the luxury of playing victim before a spectator whose pity would certainly be admiring not contemptuous and as he spoke the old habit of appealing to rhoda and confiding in rhoda and taking rhoda's sympathy for granted resumed its power over him there was no strain of tenderness in his words he said not a syllable that his wife and all the world might not freely have listened to he talked as a petted boy might talk to an idolizing sister with a mix of boastfulness and repining which he would have been ashamed to display to a man rhoda listened with sorrowful interest how could it be that algernon should have to endure all these troubles and mortifications he was so clever so accomplished so highly connected had such great and powerful relations it appeared natural enough that folks like mrs thimbleby and the gladwishes and even her brother seth should sometimes be pressed for money she herself although she had never known privation in her father's house had until within the last year or so been accustomed to the most rigid economy not to say parsimony and it had never cost her a care but that algernon errington should desire money for various purposes and not be able to get it seemed to her a very hard case but algernon's note was not all of complaint there were occasional intervals in which he spoke of the brightness of his prospects ultimately when once he should have tided over his present difficulties and had got out of whitford and there were a few flourishes about his social successes in town last year in the indulgence of his all-absorbing egotism he seemed to forget that the girl beside him had ever been or had ever had either expectation or right to be anything more to him than the patient admiring sisterly humble confidant 
on whom he had relied for praise and sympathy from the time of his earliest recollections and who supplied him with the most delicious food for his vanity because unmingled with any doubt of its genuineness no thought of her feelings save that they were kindly and admiring towards himself crossed his mind whilst he talked to her bending down his head and gesticulating slightly with his white handsome hands but when his mother called to her come rhoda i think we must be going i heard the carriage at the gate child you and algy have been having a famous long chat reminded you of old times didn't it when i say algernon heard these words a spark of manhood made his cheeks tingle and his tongue stammer as he said i'm afraid i must have been boring you dreadfully rhoda in truth he was surprised to find that he had spent the whole evening in talking to rhoda about himself he glanced quickly at his wife but she was occupied with the mrs MacDougall. so occupied was she that she hardly returned mrs errington's good-night which negligence however little ruffled that lady's equanimity but when rhoda approached to take leave of castalia the latter moved aside so suddenly that the movement might almost be called a start and facing round came opposite to her own image in the mirror above the chimney-piece with rhoda's fair image looking over its shoulder for one second perhaps it could scarcely have been more the smooth surface of the glass gave back the two women's faces one youthful lily-hued innocently surprised with chestnut eyebrows and shining chestnut curls and tender rosy lips parted like those of a child the other yellow worn full of fretful creases with glittering eager eyes and a thin mouth set into a straight line and yet over all the undefinable pathos of a suffering spirit behind the two algernon looking into his wife's dark eyes and recognizing something there that he had never seen in them before in no longer time than it would take for a breath to dim the mirror all these images were gone and the cold shiny glass indifferently showed a confusion of cloaks and shoulders and the back of a huge bonnet crowning mrs errington's majestic figure from that day forth castalia gave herself up to a devouring jealousy of rhoda she spied her goings and comings she watched her husband's face when the girl was spoken of she opened the letters that she found in the pockets of his clothes she lay in wait to surprise some proof no matter what of a tender feeling on his part for his old love in a word she pursued her own misery with more eagerness vigilance and unflagging singleness of purpose than most people devote to the attainment of any object whatsoever End of chapter 4